There are several bewigged 18th century gentlemen appearing in the spirit of Soho mural. One of these, lurking at the top left corner, was a German composer who made his home in London and whose music is still recognised today even by those who know nothing about classical music. At number 11, it's George Friedrich Handel. Correction, Handel was a composer from the pre-classical period, which is known as the Baroque era. Born in 1685, Handel became a British subject in 1727, and later that same year wrote arguably his most famous piece of music, Zadok the Priest, for the coronation of George II, which had been played at every coronation since. For this reason, Handel, from Germany, holds a unique position in British national life to this day, rather like the German family for whom he wrote it. Handel was extremely famous and much lauded in his lifetime, which was due mostly to his musical genius, of course, but also partly to his ability to assiduously cultivate relationships with influential people in the highest echelons of society. Despite being a figure of the establishment, however, he was not a snob and enjoyed spending time in the company of his less grand fellow creatives, often in Soho, as well as hobnobbing with the aristocracy. In common with several figures in the Spirit of Soho mural, Handel was associated with the Foundling Hospital, a charity that was set up in 1739 to help abandoned children. He conducted a benefit concert for the hospital in 1749, for which he wrote the Foundling Hospital Anthem, otherwise known as Blessed Are They That Considereth the Poor, which concluded with the Alleluia Chorus borrowed from his Messiah Oratorio. Shortly afterwards, Handel donated an organ to the hospital's chapel and conducted annual fundraising performances of the Messiah for several years after and left a copy of the Messiah's score to the hospital in his will. Handel died in 1779 and is buried in Poets' Corner in Westminster Abbey. Dr Helen Coffey is a music historian and a lecturer at the Open University. She's an expert on Handel and is currently taking part in a major research project pulling together documents relating to Handel's life. In order to get a handle on Handel, sorry, I spoke to Dr Helen Coffey online. Handel was born in 1685 in a town called Halle, which is in eastern Germany. He was born into quite a comfortably off family. His, his father was actually a surgeon. He's quite well connected to local courts of German nobility. So he obviously had quite a comfortable upbringing. There are, there, are, there are very much anecdotes that his father really wanted him to go into law. But we do see little hints of him actually coming around to the idea that he, you know, this was a very talented musician. There's a story of um, Handel visiting a local court with his father. So his father's going in his role as surgeon there. Handel goes along, this young boy, and he plays on the instruments at this court. And the Duke who was there was so impressed, he then persuaded his father <laughs> that, you know, this young boy needs a music teacher. And so when they get back to their hometown, this is what his father does, well, according to the story, that he then appoints a, a local organist as Handel's music teacher. And from there, that sort of starts to pave the way. 
There was also anecdotes that he used to practice secretly when, you know, when his family, his family didn't know. <laughs> so he had a clavichord in the attic, <laughs> apparently, and he used to sort of play on this secretly. And so there was this sort of determination as well. He used to have this true love of music from early on. He had a what in the attic, did you say? A, a clavichord. So this is a, a keyboard, in, an early keyboard instrument. Like a harpsichord, is it? Yeah, that kind of thing. So somehow, apparently, this young boy managed to get one <laughs> into his home and um, practiced on it secretly without his father knowing. His father died when Handel was about 12. At that point, you sort of see Handel thinking, maybe I should go along the path that he you know, wished for me. So at first he did enrol at the university in Halle. That didn't last long. And at the same time, he also became the organist in the city. So even then, you see that he's sort of torn between these two sort of priorities. The biggest professional step he then takes is when he moves to Hamburg, where they had this very successful opera house, and that's where we really start to see him develop as a composer. He, you know, his first known operas of, from this period. From there, he's obviously starting to mix in that sort of society. And what kind of age is he now? Sort of early 20s or something? Um, he's around 18. Okay. Then from Hamburg, working in the Hamburg Opera, he then goes to Italy. And then he works for a few years in Italy. Then he goes from Italy back to Germany. But this time he goes to Hanover. And... In Hanover, it's the court of the elector there, and the elector of Hanover was our King George I. Oh, right, OK. So <laughs> he's already making connections there that are probably going to pave his way for him coming over to England. Was that the key to it in those days? Did you need to have talent plus some wealthy backer? I think so, yes, and I think that's where Handel actually was very clever. From his early years, you see him making these connections with sort of noble and royal patrons, and these are the people who are going to back you as a, a professional musician. And this was strategic. It wasn't a just. It wasn't just like being chummy with them. It was. It was for a purpose. I think so. Yeah. I think we see this throughout his career, actually. And he, even when he's over, you know, come over to England, he still maintains these kind of networks, these kind of connections. So at the time he comes over, Queen Anne is on the throne, but George the First is sort of destined to be her successor. And so the Hanoverians are already getting people over to London to try and work out what's going on placing people over here to work out the political situation. So there's a question mark whether Handel's actually involved in this. I mean, there are letters that actually say that he's been passing on information about the Queen's health. Whether he's aware of this in the fact that he's being a political <laughs> player in the sense, it's not entirely clear, but he obviously had that kind of role. And obviously musically as well, I mean, Handel's reputation from working in Italy and at the Hanover Court, that he writes the first Italian opera for London, so written specifically for London. He writes Ronaldo in 1711. Music is his obviously his personal main <laughs> goal with all this. It's a means to an end, and he's in his the ends yes, is to make yeah. nice music. How did it work in terms of his compositions? Would is he commissioned to write something, or does he does he write something and say, "Oh, I've got this great piece. Do you want it?" This isn't just Handel, actually. This is like the, the whole system at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, about. I, I think a little bit of a mixture with Handel. He was, I mean, he was asked to write specific things. So he was involved in writing. He wrote the anthems for the coronation of King George II, for example. There were specific events that he wrote music for. This is Zadok the Priest, isn't it? Yes. So yeah. when he wrote Zadok the Priest, he must have been fairly well established to, to have got the, the yes. coronation gig. He first came to London in 1710. He goes a bit back and forwards to the Hanover Court and then settles over here from about 1712. Okay. 1712. Um, and from that time onwards, even, you see him making these connections with the royal family. So at first with Queen Anne, he writes music for her, for her court. Um, and then George I comes over. He writes the water music for him. So from early on, he's establishing these connections with the, the royal family. And he gets himself a nice gaff in um, Mayfair. 
So not, not yes. technically Soho, but no. I think this is the Soho connection. It's quite close to Soho, you know. Yes. He moved to Brook Street in Mayfair in 1723. And he lived there basically for the rest of his life. He died in 1759. And that was his home. And we see from that home, you, you know, this is not only his place that he lived, and his, uh, but you see things like they had music rehearsals there. It's in adverts for his music publications if people want to, to subscribe to these. So it's a sort of a business headquarters as well as being his home. So he's established himself in London. He's very well connected. He's writing this style of music called Baroque, which I've, I've heard before. I'm not clear exactly what Baroque music is. Could you explain what that is? We use the term Baroque to describe music that was written roughly between the early 17th century and about the mid-18th century. So Handel falls into the later part of this period. And I'm trying to think of qualities you'd associate with this kind of music. It, so you might, so certain instruments like the harpsichord, you might associate with this period in music history. Also things like, if you think of Baroque architecture at that time, it's quite ornate. And this sort of, you can sort of hear this in the music too, that it's, it's not always just a simple tune or melody. It'll have little decorative sort of, for want of a better word, twiddly bits on, on this. So, so that's sort of also a kind of Baroque feature. And then later on in the 18th century, where you have composers like Mozart coming for these melodies start to become a bit more simplified. So Baroque, the term we use for the period after the Baroque is the classical period, and that's when things change again. How much later is Mozart? Do they overlap? They do a tiny, weeny bit. So Handel dies 1759, um, Mozart was born 1756. So okay. Oh, so literally, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Mozart knew Handel's music, so you see this influence coming through from the you know from Britain as well into Europe and in later years so so Handel was part of the kind of musical heritage that Mozart would have drawn upon yeah yeah I'd say so yeah yeah for the the layperson who thinks they haven't heard any Handel music I'm convinced everybody's heard everybody's heard Zadok the Priest could you name two or three that he that people would definitely know and say oh that's by Handel yeah, I th- well, as you say, I mean, Zadok the Priest is one of the really, really well-known um, pieces of music by Handel. So it's, uh, this was one of the anthems he wrote for the coronation of King George II. And it's um, an amazing piece of music, isn't it? It's yeah. just absolutely a spine-tingling piece of music. Yeah. And, and in fact, it's been used in coronations ever since. And I'm, I think because of that, you hear it a lot on anything like sort of period dramas around yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that is definitely one that even if they think they don't know any handle or handles not their thing, um, Zadok the Priest is, is a really well-known piece. The other or one of the others that people might know is the Hallelujah Chorus. <laughs> It's, it's become what you know, it's one of the books that made him really famous, um, both in his lifetime and actually since. And it, again, it appears in all kinds of yeah, forms yeah. In, in, you know, on, on film, on screen, even little just glimpses of it, and then the, you know, maybe not even the whole work. And people say, if people kind of have a minor achievement at work, they'll go, Hallelujah! Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. This is it. So, and they don't know that they're singing Handel. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if I was to send you off, I've got this new radio series plan called Desert Island Disc, just a singular. Actually, it's called Desert Island Handle Disc. If you, if you were to choose your own personal favourite, what would you choose? I mean, it's hard to choose, really, because, well, I think I've gone for um, Eternal Source of Light Divine. Which Eternal Source of Light Divine, OK.
This was an English ode that Handel wrote for Queen Anne, so very early on after his arrival in England. For me, it's just beautiful. It's, it's far, it's more gentle than the pieces we've already discussed, but you just hear this amazing echo between the voice and the trumpet. And it's, for me, it's just, just lovely. People might know about this strange connection between Handel and Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> which is an odd partnership. They they, yes. they did not overlap, did they? They're not like um, Mozart. No, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> not quite. A few hundred years apart. Yeah. It's a strange well, coincidence that the building in which Handel lived, so 25 Brook Street, was also the building in which Jimi Hendrix lived. So Handel was 25 Brook Street, Jimi Hendrix lived in a flat in 23 Brook Street. And apparently as well, he actually, a part of his record collection, he actually got hold of some Handel records. Okay. So you can now visit this, um, both the Hendrix flat and Handel's home, which is the, this is the museum Handel and Hendrix in London. And so you can see where they both live, see the, you know, the contrast, obviously, these are hundreds of years apart. But I think also as part of that, you can see Hendrix's record collection from that time, which has these Handel pieces in it. I think it's obviously open to these different musical ideas. Yeah, and definitely. Yeah, I can really imagine him being interested in this connection. But I, it's incredible. This one building obviously sort of somehow attracted these two musical geniuses. And... When I first, I was doing some research at the handle, trying to find people to come on the show to talk about him, I came across you on, it must have been Twitter, I think, talking about a handle eating lamb's ears, yes. which sounds horrible, poor little lambs. Yes, it is quite horrible. This all came about, um, I'm working on a, a large project which with others, and we're basically collecting together all documents about Handel from his lifetime. And one of these documents, which is more unusual, is... It's um, some accounts from Montague House in Whitehall, and this was the, res the residence of the Duke of Montague in London. And it lists what they had for dinner one day, so this is in the 1740s, and Handel was a guest for dinner there. And so from amongst the things he's eating, you could see lamb's ears and eel pie and macaroni. <laughs> And so, although it's not an anecdote about Handel H, this, you can get a sense of, you know, he's visiting this duke for a start, who's again showing these connections. Yeah, that's amazing. But it's also these strange things they're eating at the time. And it literally lamb's ears, or is it? Well, it says lamb's ears, so... I imagine it being like a kind of, um, like a ravioli, like stuffed lamb's ears <laughs> or something. Was, oh, no, it's quite horrible. But I love these kinds of documents because we know so much about Handel's professional life. We have so many newspaper adverts and reports of his performances, but... These little glimpses into, you know, the private side of him. And although he was very well connected with the sort of higher echelons of society, he comes across as quite a proper person in many respects. But he's also obviously very creative. He's got connections in Soho with many of the musicians, the singers, the instrumentalists who he worked with. Many of them lived in Soho. His assistant and copyist, John Christopher Smith, lived there. So he's also on the mural. So he's got connections with the creative community there. 